Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're fortunate to be in conversation with Lauren Ohayan today. Lauren is the founder of Restore Your Core and One Strong Mama, two highly acclaimed online programs designed to restore function for anyone with core pelvic issues. Her programs boast online communities of over 25,000 women, over 8,000 participants, and nearly 100 teachers internationally. In short, she's a pretty rad human. Our talk today goes into pelvic floor, structural anatomy, myofascial release, and more. It was so easy to converse with Lauren and with such a natural flow. We're sure you'll find the same. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey, Lauren. Sorry, I'm late. Hi, Lauren. Lauren, you're in uh, Miami? So I live in Miami now, but I currently am in Cape Cod for the summer. You're in Massachusetts too, right, Andrew? Uh, I'm, I'm in Needham. Okay, right. And Nikki is in? I'm in Boulder. Oh, how nice. I'm supposed to be there teaching in September, but I doubt I'm going to make it. Yeah, teaching uh, <sighs> yoga. Or... I actually don't really teach yoga anymore. I mean... It's such a subjective word. It's like, what, is, what does yoga even mean? Um, but no, I teach a workshop called Restore Your Core. And I'm going to be in Boulder teaching my Restore Your Core workshop. I come about every other year to Boulder, but That's I don't great. know. Who, who I don't think it's happening be? this year. So I rent a place called Kinesis Dance on Arapaho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I love Boulder. So I was chatting with Nikki earlier and uh, I was like there's something uh, she's like how'd you meet Lauren I was like uh I heard of her on a, a podcast and I just felt really like I, I I really connected with her um I heard her I normally am very cynical with my New England mentality and like ah, I don't like what that person's saying and I just really I liked the way you spoke I liked your approach to the body uh and and especially a structural aspect of it uh, especially in my experience in yoga practices the 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 lower the pelvic floor can be romanticized and mm. not really biomechanicized that's not a real word but i think you know what i mean and i, I and so i was trying to explain i was like yeah i really i really liked how she said stuff but i i think a part of it as i discovered from talking to you later is I think part of it is just we I think we think in a similar way, and I wonder how much of that is just being uh Jewish and having lived in New England <laughs> um, just having those implicit those implicit uh connections I know things. we always find each other, the tribe always finds each other well, I'm yeah. honored the non jew part of the tribe of this podcast Nikki, are you from Colorado no, I'm actually from all over. I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, but um, my family is pretty much Minnesota, Norwegian. 
So, but I can relate oh, Minnesota. To I go there all the time too. Dude, I love Minnesotans. <laughs> I love well, them. I, yeah, that's been my family, but I was, I grew up in Memphis. Yeah. So a lot of my family now is in Florida, but I also spent eight years in New York City. So maybe our years in New York City matched. Well, so um, my time in New York City was a lot of weaving through various movement modalities. So did well, I did the beach yoga certification, but I did my Pilates certification, gyrotonic, gyrokinesis. Hmm. Did you say beach yoga? Yeah, I, well, I did it like a not well, it was beach. I did it on the beach. I did the typical like. Um, vacation, get your 200 hour. Oh. oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, which I was awesome. I had great instructors and I, I really loved it. But, um, yeah, so, but my thing for yoga was not because I was a diehard yoga person. I just really enjoyed the asanas. So I would say I was more of an asana practitioner than really going down the whole yoga philosophy and really value the principles behind the, the asanas and the movements. And, and it's, I like mind, body, physical fitness. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, but I'm definitely interested in hearing more about what you have to say about your pelvic floor profession journey. I know for myself, I knew quite a bit about it before having two kids and then they humbly just embodied my pelvic floor and I've had a journey to come back to it. So I'm in that search using my own knowledge, but then also reaching out for resources and coaches. And so, um, yeah, so I've, I've kind of heard all the different people's personal point of view about it or their edge on it or what they think is important. So last night I was watching, um, some of your videos and then I listened to a podcast and I would like to hear a little bit more because at first it it was anchored or it was labeled to your name but there was a gentleman talking did I have was I listening to the right person <laughs> I don't know can you send it to me at some point yeah what what was he saying what was he saying like in lieu of me it was all about pelvic floor but it was like this is what Lauren teaches and and it was i feel like it was a great place because was i was i there no it was restore your core though i'll see if i can and it was a man Uh uh-huh amazing we're like a mostly women's program you're gonna have to send that to me i'm very curious okay well um Doesn't so, but yeah, know. could you just share, like, what's your point of differentiation, do you think, of in the whole world of pelvic floor health and restore your core? Like, why me? Yeah, why you? Why, why me? Um, well, I started, so I, I'll just give you a little bit of, like, do you want, like, the story, the background story, or just, like, let's start with restore your core? No, I would love, I think the backstory is important because that's often how you found your your market. Your yeah. So I was, um, well, it started, no, it started in, in, I was living in Israel actually, and I had been doing yoga for many years and I was like super uber flexible and I loved teaching yoga. And then I herniated like three discs in my lumbar spine. It was a really serious injury. And I was told that I would never walk again. I had very bad nerve damage. 
my father has undergone numerous failed back surgeries and he walks with a permanent limp and he's super physical. I mean, he's like, he plays tennis. He's actually right there. He's amazing. And he's like super physical and, um, takes like a three mile walk every day, but he has this limp. And so, um, like a good Jewish mother, my mom called me right when I got my MRI results. The surgeons were basically suggesting I have surgery immediately because I had such extensive damage and they couldn't see, you know, you're so young and you blah, blah. And so my mom was like, you are not having surgery and I'm getting on the next plane and I'm coming to Tel Aviv and don't move until I get there and don't make a decision. So she really saved me because I was in so much pain. I was like, where's the knife? Like, give me the knife now. Um, and so it took me a year to rehab and I just, a lot of learning and it, um, and I overcame a lot of kind of also messaging at me, which was like, you'll never walk again and you'll never this again and you'll never that again. And just a lot of disempowerment around healing. And, um, I was really curious, like for me, it was like, well, maybe something in how you were moving your body, right. Maybe it contributed. Um, and I'm at a point in my career now where I don't love to like play the blame game and like you have bad posture, therefore you have blah, blah. I don't like, I think that's actually quite shitty and I don't like to do that to people. Can I curse on your podcast? Yeah. Awesome. If, if you're from New England, it's just natural language. It's just like, I mean, I, I have three daughters and like they've grown up with like hearing me curse every other word. So I uh, was really disappointed in the fact that, you know, the messaging towards healing, basically, that was like the biggest thing to overcome, if anything, was just like all of these crazy predictions about what I wasn't going to be able to do with my body. And then a year later, when I really rehabbed my back, I got the MRI again, and I had the exact same results, but I had no back pain. And that was pretty amazing to see. And you guys probably know they've done all these studies. It's a pretty common finding now. We know that, um, you know, that back pain doesn't have to be correlated to any specific uh, event in your spine. So, or in your body. Uh, so I did though change how I taught and how I saw the body and my kind of like all of the excessive range of motion that was available to me. I started reining that in and, um, and then I moved back to Brooklyn and I had three kids and it just started making sense to me. I had my three kids one after the other. So I had three kids in the span of four years and it just made sense to me. Like I didn't have any core or pelvic floor issues around it. And it, but it, I had sacred iliac joint stuff, but it did make a lot of sense to me um, to start working more and more with that population. And every time I heard a yoga teacher say like, engage your pelvic floor, I'd want to kill someone because from the get go, I was like, that is so not okay. Like, do you engage your bicep to open a door? Like, why are we over cueing the pelvic floor? Why are we assuming that it's a part of the body that can't just respond to input and load and it needs something. So I started becoming more and more vocal about these things. Also with the core, it felt like people were very much spot treating the core rather than seeing it as a system. Like it's a whole, it's like an entire system that's comprised, that, that's affected by many regions of our body and people were just spot treating it. So fast forward, we decided we basically wanted to live as nomads again. And how could we do that? And so we thought we'd put our, my, start teaching online. And the niche that made the most sense to me was um, corn pelvic floor. I could see that there was only one other person at that time teaching corn pelvic floor stuff online. And she is fabulous, but I had other things to talk about. I talk a lot about the, the connection between the diaphragm, the, you know, I talk about like the whole core as a system and she was talking about it a little differently. So I thought, Oh, there's a market, like I'm doing it different than her. Right. Why not? So I started my program, Restore Your Core, 
and I started a Facebook group. And I just, now we've grown to, we have 20 to 21,000 women in the group. I've trained over a hundred teachers to teach the program. I teach workshops worldwide. So it's really, really, really grown. And I think the reason people come to me is that even if you have your uterus coming out of your vagina, I don't think you're broken. So my starting point is never, you cannot be healed. I also don't like the word fixed because it implies you're both broken. And I'm also really against using um, how something looks for how something functions. So a lot of people who have like a core injury also have possibly um, external, like you can see the injury, right? They don't have flat abs anymore. And one of the things I try to educate people about is that um, like how something looks is not how something functions. So you can strive for those goals of having a flat belly and having a six pack and you can go, go for it. But that's not the same thing as going for a core that's actually doing its job to support like you as you move. And so I'm really big into body positivity. I never use before and after photos. I'm vehemently against that whole culture. And so I think people are drawn to me because I'm quite outspoken about what I'm passionate about. And I'm also not afraid to use words like vagina. I have a video on YouTube that's like, can you nod your clitoris? Like a functional pelvic floor, the clitoris should move when the pelvic floor is contracting, right? And I have this whole video where I'm like, I'm not gonna show you my clitoris, but I am gonna talk to you about it. You know, and I think people just, I, talk, I have videos about like what, what happens when you queef, you know? And so I think people find it refreshing that my perspective isn't like, it's not strong enough, you need more strength. And, and instead I look at it as like, is it functional? Like, what are the compensating factors? Let's, let's try to, you know, so I just, that's, that's my approach. I think people find it different. Just for clarification, they, they find the queefing refreshing or your attitude? All of that. I'm like, let's have a queef party. Resist. Sorry, Nikki, go on. <laughs> I try to normalize all of it. I'm like, queefing, like, who cares? Well, like, I mean, norm, I do, you know, I think that is really important because I mean, I will talk very little this episode because I, I have a very different pelvic floor. Um, you don't. Actually, you have a very similar pelvic floor. I'm very similar, but but um, my, pelvic <laughs> my pelvic floor is less, um, I don't have the right word uh, for it, but it, 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 there's so much, I don't want to say like fairytaling around it. And it's, and it's mm -hmm. ma the masculineness, like, I don't have the, the right to talk about it and I'm, and I'm fine with that. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Pelvic floors are universal between male and female. Men pel men's pelvic floor possibly aren't as prone to a dysfunction or uh, need to to be addressed as often as maybe a woman because of childbearing. It's yeah, a lot of men come to me for um, I, not a lot, but I do have quite a few men who have prolapse. So a prolapse, for anybody listening who doesn't know, is where the organs in the pelvic floor descend into an area where they're not supposed to be. So in a woman, the uh, pelvic floor will, the organs will descend into the pelvic floor. So I would say, I mean, men can get a prolapse too. It's just a little bit of a different mechanism. But many men have pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, erectile dysfunction is a pelvic floor dysfunction too tight of a pelvic floor. So men definitely have, but you're right. It is far more associated with people um, who've had children or um, people who are around um, menopause. So I have a lot of clients who've never had children but are nearing menopause and that can be a definite moment where all of this comes up. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we all have inter-abdominal pressure. And so if you're not managing that in your daily life, it's going to affect diaphragm or pelvic floor. Diaphragm is relatively much stronger than your pelvic floor. So which system is going to give? And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in in the weightlifting world and mm. – you know, there's a, a lot of conversations of how to engage properly for to hold yeah. the, the the structure that you need to, to to carry heavy loads. And heavy loads can be very relative if you're you know deadlifting crazy weights or running's a load, picking up a baby's a load. You know, all sorts of things. So it is and you know coming back to whether you're dealing with picking up and having to manage external forces we're still a lot i mean we're still modern people who aren't exercising the way our bodies are designed and our core does fall from ideal strength from our sitting all the time and you know the sedentary lifestyle and then all of a sudden we have, we want to be the weekend warriors and go out there and get our get our sweat on and things aren't operating as ideally as we would like so i think restore your core i mean often does start to lend itself more to a female population but it's definitely critical for for all people for sure so maybe i yeah. as i said i listened i might have listened to uh, imposter podcast of yours, but maybe is, did I hear correctly that a big thing of your restore your core in training is about pelvis alignment? Yeah. So there's the, yeah. So basically when working with anyone who has a core or a pelvic floor issue, the way I address it is I don't spot treat either region what we're doing is looking at all of the compensations and blind spots, things that can affect the integrity of that structure. And so pelvic alignment is a really big one. And it's probably one of the places, one of the areas I start with first, right? So where, what is going on in the pelvis in, you know, in all planes of movement. So three-dimensionally on this, you know, all, all three planes, but um, it is, absolutely one of the most important regions that we are looking at when we are trying to help our clients reduce that intra-abdominal pressure. So what I always say to people is that we don't know why people have a core or pelvic floor injury. We don't know, right? There's never been a research that it would actually be quite impossible to and expensive and there's no reason to really conduct that research. Um, it can be a genetic, you know, so it can be genetics, it can be um, connective tissue disorders, and it can be too much intra-abdominal pressure or a combination thereof, right? Like, or too tight muscles. I have a lot of people who come to me who are like hardcore athletes, had a baby and everything, like core wall separated, um, pelvic organs went down, right? The body's looking to accommodate. Our bodies are freaking intelligent. They're like, there's no space for this uterus. I'll just make some space, right? I'll just like give a little here and give a little here and every, you know. So we, you know, we ha I have people coming from all these different kind of physical backgrounds, but it's all the same. There are blind spots and compensations and what's causing that too much intra-abdominal pressure. And you can't start to talk about pressure 
right? And so we don't know what it is, but we're assuming it's all these areas, right? It's too much intra-abdominal pressure. So one of the areas we are looking at for sure is alignment. We're looking at also rib tension, diaphragm tension. Um, most people are chronic belly breathers, and they've been taught that for so yoga people are taught that belly breathing is the right way to breathe. And, you know, so and when we look at the body anatomically, our, our bellies actually aren't designed to expand. They're just designed to bulge. So when you increase space in the belly, you're not actually expanding the belly as erroneously taught. You're just increasing pressure. Whereas when you breathe more three-dimensionally into your rib cage, that whole rib cage is designed to expand all the tissues, everything is all the cartilage, the whole design of it lends Talk to expansion. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, um, this is the areas that we're looking at in Restore Your Core. We're not necessarily looking at like, can you do 20 kegels? I don't give a shit if you can do one. Like that doesn't matter if nothing else is kind of falling into place in your structure. Yeah. And, um, so a lot that I have found really helpful, and I think this is kind of knowledge from what, from being a rolfer is a lot of how I've been able to find. So with my, my personal history was my pelvic floor was nicely balanced. I saw a PT that checked me out, but my thing was, is I got rectus diastasis and umbilical hernia. And mm -hmm. they go really off, they go together very commonly. Right. And so, um, but it just, it's been a bit of a journey and a little bit of just a lack of my consistency of staying on with, with my training is, um, you know, being able to stay engaged because my body really does want to kind of hang out in that pregnancy state is really, really reconnecting to the ground through my feet and making sure my, mm. my arches are nice and holding up because again, my feet changed a lot when I was pregnant. So, you know, I, you know, yeah, they get pretty, wider. Yeah. And so I, after being pregnant, they didn't really respond back to how I pre-pregnancy. So after two pregnancies, I now have my right foot is a little bit more, um, flatter than before. I used to have pretty good arches and never really had issues with that. Now it's like, you know, kind of constantly reminding me to stay engaged with my arch and I can really tell if I don't stay on it with, you know, with my exercises and kind of just hanging out, you know, quarantine life, still mm. sitting around a lot. Um, it, I can see how it really shifts my, my engagement to my pelvic floor, my SI joints hurt, you know, everything starts to kind of fall apart, which in a way makes a lot of sense because my, my base of support isn't holding me up like it's designed to. And I think, you know, when you were talking about thoracic breathing, you know, and rolfing, that's one of our very first sessions, because if you have your breath moving in this omnidirectional way, mm -hmm. a, it makes it difficult to have your tissue to stick. Cause if you're breathing in all these different ways and you're breathing on a regular basis, then you have this nice movement through your fascia, through your skeleton. You have that nice gentle pressure with your diaphragm into your viscera, having that dance with the pelvic floor. So yeah, it's great that um, having someone else talk about core isn't just about grabbing the pelvic floor, navel to the spine and bear down and hold it. That all- Yeah, one of the terms- have to work together. Totally. 
And one of the words I use when I'm trying to explain this to people is that um, in Restore Your Core, or just in the work that I'm doing, is we're trying to automate the core. And I think that's really foreign for people because like the rest of our, our whole muscular system is basically automated. You go to open a door, you don't tell your arm muscles, so okay, fire up on the, you know, like there's no, there's no cueing. But for some reason, when it comes to the core and pelvic floor and the glutes, people are just like cueing and cueing and cueing. And um, it's so interesting because if you're moving in an integrated way, those structures are doing their job. And so one of the big misconceptions about the core is that to have a strong core, it should be engaged all the time. And I actually really disagree. I mean, it should be responding to load, right? That's how you train to task. And that's how you also like, if I'm picking up this little box, like I don't need much, I don't need much anything, right? But if this weighed like 40 pounds, I would have to do all sorts of other things to stabilize here. And, you know, like, but my body does that. It's like, it's, but maybe it doesn't do that in the sequence that it could be. And so I actually don't train to, I try to decondition all of this, keep your core tight all the time work. And people are like, I always try to keep my core tight, whatever I do. Well, that's a reason your back hurts all the time. Like, <laughs> you know, you're not working with, that's not how the body works. I don't hold my bicep like this all the time. Why would I hold my core like that all the time? Just because it wraps around and attaches to my spine. That's not a good enough reason, right? The body's not designed. That's just not, not a good enough reason. It, um, it, um, it, it's funny because I, I was just working with someone the day who does hold their arm like that pretty much all the time because they're unaware, they're unaware that, that they're stuck in these patterns and they actually are holding their arm most of the time. And through actually through work we did, they they were walking down the street, and as they they said, "Oh, I, I just realized like they didn't." When I would say, "Hey, you're holding on," and they wouldn't understand, they'd like, "What are you talking about? I'm not holding." Totally. Then they because of the work we did, there was an uh, a, a cue we'll say printed in the brain, and they're like, "Oh, I am holding that." It is definitely less probably relevant less common than the core structures, but. Yeah. And a lot of the work I'm doing is to show people. So I talk about patterns all the time and I talk about um, like the analogy I use is if there was like a, so I, I used to live in New York city and there's like a deli on every corner and you have your local deli, right? It's like, it's just there. You toilet paper, local deli, like milk, coffee, local deli. But if there's a huge snow, snowstorm and you can't get to the deli and you only know one way to get from your house to the deli, you're kind of fucked. But if you have like 30 ways from your house to the deli, you've got options. And that's the same thing with the body. Like a lot of us only know one way to get from point A to point B, right? I'm going to go lift my arm up. I only know one way. Um, why not know 20 ways? And why not stop categorizing that this is bad and wrong? So somebody who walks around with their pelvis stuck in an ant tilt, like in a tilt, who cares? Poster ant. Who cares? Right. One way. That's not bad. It's just a choice. Hmm. But how cool would it be if the body knew lots of different choices so it could respond appropriately in the appropriate moment? And so yeah. it sounds like our work's really complement in that way, too. Like you show the brain the cue. You call it the cue. And, you know, like well, I, I you use pattern. I mean, I, I use the word patterns a lot, too. A lot of times I have trouble to say what I do because of all the work, the different fields. And I just say I find patterns in people, whether it's physical, psychological, spiritual, whatever, and find ways to to show other ways of moving that pattern. Mm -hmm. It can spin this way, it can spin that way, you know? Right. Uh, and like I hear your analogy about going to the, the grocery store and even 
someone might know one way and love it, but that one way might be walking 20 miles north to go west and one mile to walk 20 miles south to get there, as opposed to just like finding the shortcut. Totally. Well, why we're in business is because there are, you know, people fall into habitual patterns and habitual patterns create a hard neurological pathway that holds us mm -hmm. there. So we are kind of by habitual design held into a pattern. So, and with that, we, we lose our options. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's great to have, to be adaptable and to be able to take on a, a movement need based on the desire that you're trying to reach or go after. So I think yeah, I'm, yeah. biotensegrity is the real, the in vogue word Right. these days in the body work. And <clears throat> I think ultimately what, whether you were talking about the pelvic floor, the breath, the arch of the foot, we need our body to be able to work in its architectural design of being in this omnidirectional tension, compression support and yeah. So we got it. I love how you describe that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in the buzzword <laughs> dive right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's so good. It's so good, but it's, it's so, it's so, it's so easy for us to talk about this stuff because we're in this world and we're seeing bodies and we're working with bodies. And again, we're trying to help people find like all of that. Right. But our clients are not doing that reading and that work. And I find for me, if I come to my client and I'm like speaking in a way that I would speak to you, it is so disempowering mm -hmm. in a way because it's too much and their nervous system can't take it on. Like my, my program is built where before they start the work. So it's a 12 week program, but before you start the 12 week program, you do this one week of foundational exercises. So I teach you about breathing and I teach you about core like the reflexive core. And we talk about the importance of a movable spine and all these things. But I've come to realize that like half the people probably not half, but maybe like a third of the people get through a few of those videos and they're like, fuck, I'm done. Like, this is too challenging. There's too much to do, right? Some people do all that work and they're like, this is amazing. This is what I've been looking for. You know so much. Oh my God. I love that you showed me all my compensations and blind spots, but other people are like, uh, that was, I, I went from feeling disempowered to extra disempowered, right? So education is amazing, but sometimes education too can be incredibly, I don't want to use the word shaming because it's not, it's more like almost ableism or something, you know, it's like, we don't mean to be so disempowering. We, we, we have a, we have a term in the, in the Rolfing community called overbaking and it, it sort of comes it comes more out of generally out of touch. Like if you, if you're, if you're, there's a longer way, but it has to do with the fact that what well, we, we have our 10 series, which is a recipe. And if you do just a little too much in a session, you can fry somebody, you overbake it. Right. Yeah. But it can happen. Uh, so I've noticed doing online work now and I'll be working with someone and I'm like, okay, we're vibing. I'm, I'm helping this person move. And if I put like just a little too much information, I can see where I lose them. And it's just yes. like, Oh, they, I, I overbaked it. I fried them. And you can kind of, I can kind of see they're, 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 it just becomes too much and, and it's done. Forget about it. And so it does become a lot of, I mean, we talk about this in Rolfing a lot, meeting, meeting your client where they're at. I use that word all the time. That phase. Yeah. 
Um, and sometimes I'm, where they're at is not wanting to go all the way. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. I, um, I talk a lot lately in my group, my Facebook group, I talk a lot lately about like the placebo effect and the power of belief and the power of, um, yeah, our mind. And that so much of this magic is happening in the brain. So if they come in and I'm like, I am going to heal you, (laughs) you know, just by them believing that they could have the exact, which I don't see myself as a healer and I'm very against that paradigm. But my point is that like, if somebody believes that what you're about to help them with, like that it will work, you don't know if whether your work is working or just the power of their belief or a combination, you know? So it is, um, it is important that we not disempower clients and that we can also just work, like you said, like just on, like if they're not ready to go all the way, that's okay. They can have the same results. Like I see people obsessing over their alignment because I talk a lot about alignment. Why well, I used to now I kind of don't so much, but I used to talk a lot about it. And I saw that like women were so stuck. They were causing more pain in their body, more tension. Everything was hurting. They were forcing their body into this good alignment. Mm. So <laughs> it's like finding a, how do you, being an educator, right? You want to be an educator, but there is a, there is a sweet spot in education. You know, I, I developed a little like hour because I travel a lot. And so when I go places, I have to do like free talks and things like that as a way to understand what I do. And I developed a, a posture class that I can make from 30 minutes to 90 minutes that has some basic somatic exercises. And the basically the key thing of the posture is not how do you look, but how do you feel and mm-hmm. how do you move? And it's, su- it's such a radical transformation for people. Because if I say get in your good posture, they, right. they, they do that military thing. Uh, and I take them through exercises just, just to really get them more in their body and be like that being on your line, your, your anatomical line has, has value. But if it's not a functional line, it's not really value. I mean, it's not that it's not valuable. Again, that the problem is that keeps a dualistic view. But like if you're not in beautiful alignment, and as, as we all know, uh, the three of us know, maybe people listening know, like our insides are not aligned symmetrically, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I have one liver. I drank a lot as a child, so I may have developed into like two or three, but I'm pretty sure I have one one liver over here. And right. um, I think I have heart. a heart. I yeah. think I have a heart. <laughs> um, did have an argument with my girlfriend today, so she might not agree with that. But um, yeah. Do, do, do you know much about structural integration and rolfing work, Lauren? So I would say I know quite a bit about it. I am a big fan of um, SI work. I tend to use lately more of the term of even myofascial release. Like if I send people, so I very much believe that in complement to what Restore Your Core gives you that uh, manual work is really helpful. And so for many years, I was very di- much directing people towards the 10 sessions. Um, lately, I'm directing them more towards myofascial release or even things that are just a little bit more g- gentle by nature. Um, so when you mean my, myofascial release, like the melt method or? Even like the Barnes method. I think there are so many methods. Uh, I feel like with when you say rolfing, that's really specific. When you say structural integration, it becomes less specific. And when you say myofascial release, it's even more or less, it's even lesser specific. So my, not my issue, my, I have sent clients to have 
rolfing who like felt like their core wall was just blown apart by it. It wasn't the most helpful people who have like a real diastasis, you know, hand in hand with the diastasis is often this pattern of really tight oblique, like the side wall of the abdominals can be really, really tight and pushing everything forward as a result. So a lot of people who have a core issue also complain of having their abdominal wall pushing forward and they don't know why. And so it comes hand in hand with like this really tight oblique. But if the obliques are, are not doing that compression, right? The obliques, who knows why the obliques are, are piling in like that, right? Who knows? Is it an old habit or is it like a compensate? Who knows, right? But the obliques are creating this compression. The transversus abdominis are designed to create that compression. But if the TVA is somehow not doing it fully, and so we've got the sidewall being like, I, I got you, I got you, I'm, I'm, I'm compressing. And then you go have a session where someone blows that apart, you're kind of left with, it can be hard to feel your body again. Like, whoa, like my support system's gone, right? So I love, it depends on the client and what they're dealing with. I, it used to be like, do RYC and get some rolfing too. Now I'm like, just make sure they're really light and gentle and they understand what a diastasis really implies. Because if they don't understand that, you know, again, like diving straight into the obliques is just not always, it's a great idea, but, um, I can speak to that. I mean, I, I unfortunately feel that your clients may have received work from someone who may not be as skilled in the viscera. And I can speak to that because I had had a role in the teaching realms of it. And it's, it's a skill that you have to develop over time. And so, um, so with previous conversations that Andrew and I have had with old school rolfers and just kind of where we are is that rolfing has a reputation of being very heavy handed. And for sure there's rolfers that are still like that. It's not so much what it's taught now. I, I think in with more understanding of fascia and, the viscera and bringing that into the training. There are people who are going to be a little bit more mindful of how they're reaching into effect. I mean, how some, if someone who probably felt blown apart is someone who is probably trying to touch their psoas. And if they're not doing that in a way that, it's graceful and time and kind of does go at it with an old school rolfing touch. Yeah. yeah so like just digging in. Well, yeah. And I think we're also speaking to that, that blown apart, like, and I, I was going to lead into this with you of restore your core is how much was that a actual biomechanical tissue blow apart or how much was that a psychosomatic too much into my space? that's a, that's a, that's, that's a place that I haven't been touched. What are you doing? And I'm curious of what, how much do you come across that with your work when a, someone may be coming not as embodied with their core and coming in with all these maybe psycho emotions around a a space in their body that you're now talking to. And they're like, wait, what is that space? It hurts, but I don't know what your, that, that space is still dark. No, I come up more against people who 
are hyper aware and hyper vigilant in their bodies. And so you have to be super careful or you don't have to be anything, but it is hard in an online program. So like, these are not people I'm seeing one-to-one they're doing my program. So I have no like quality control. I have no like content control over how it reaches them. But you know, sensation is subjective, right? So someone experiences the same, you and I, Nikki, can have the exact same muscular experience in the body and you feel it as joy and I feel it as, it hurts. I mean, the way you receive something, the way you experience something is based so much also on like cultural expectation and or personal expectation or experience or whatever. Like it's out of our control. Why like getting a tattoo to me sounds like the worst idea on the world. Like I would like don't want needles like jamming ink into me. Is that because I'm Jewish and have this intergenerational trauma? I don't know. Um, you know, but whereas like for the next person, it's like they're addicted to the feeling of getting a tattoo. And I don't have an issue with pain. I had three kids at home. I have no issue around pain. I have my nipple pierced, but the idea of a tattoo and I'm like, Um, you know, so it's whenever people come to me and they talk about it, my point is if somebody comes to me and they're describing an experience they're having, I'm really cognizant not to try to assume that what they're saying is really, not that it's not valid, but like, that's their experience. Like, it doesn't mean that they, like, if somebody's like, oh my God, I did your class and after your class, my back hurt. I don't jump and think like, oh, I hurt her back. I think, oh, her back hurts. You know, like, so when people come to me in my program and then they're like hypervigilant and they're noticing every little thing and everything and they're questioning, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And, and I'm not sure if I'm engaging my core and is my lower core engaging in my, you know, all of this, it's valid. It's legit. They're really thinking hard. But a lot of that is just like, how they approach things in general. That's just like, you know, so sometimes it's like desensitizing them. Like, oh, it's okay. You're fine. That's fine. You're, what you're feeling is great. Like, you're cool. You're good. I'm not going to play into them and be like, wait, you know, blah, blah, blah. sometimes I'm like, tell me more about that. And the more I'm like, tell me more about that, I'm realizing that they're experiencing what I want them to be experiencing. They're just experiencing it like at a height, their like interpretation of that experience is different than I would interpret it. Does that make sense? Is that in my absolutely? Okay. Yeah, trying on different patterns, structurally, emotionally, your viewpoint, mindset of life. People are going to take that in all different. I mean, that's the beauty of living, right? We all get to like be different and feel differently, and for sure, I think that's very valid. And I think it's important, more so. With, with our type of work is that we validate feelings but don't attach a strong story to it. So there are options, just like what we were just talking about, that, that, that thing that they're feeling, yes, it might be a back pain, but does that mean it's back pain forever? Or did you actually work a muscle that hasn't been right. asked to turn on in a long time and it's, of course, going to feel a little uncomfortable? Or you're feeling it and you're interpreting it as pain, but maybe it's just a feeling. <laughs> There's, there was, in my Rolfing training, there were two words that were basically the answer for everything, which was maybe and depends. <laughs> I was about to say maybe and depends. <laughs> maybe That's depends. Right. It would be like, it'd be like, uh, so should this be that way? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Um, but, and I find like when I say that with my clients, the first time they hear it, it's 
it upsets them sometimes if I haven't worked with them because they, they want an answer. Right. But as we educate them to cue in more, they learn to appreciate it. Um, and I mean, I could bring in a lot more of the, the du dualistic framework of our society and culture that we live in looking for answers, needing yes or no and struggling. Right. We won't have to go there today. Um, I will throw that comment in there. Uh, I was thinking still a little bit about the, as far as like the, one of the big differences in, in my view from Rolfing and myofascial release from, so of course the thing is there is, there's a saying, there's as many ways to Rolf as there are Rolfers. So every, you know, whoever your people are seeing that blow their stomach away, may be doing what they think is best, but not actually listening, which is very common. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the bigger differences, how I understand most myofascial release to Rolfing is Rolfing is about, it would tie in really well to how you think, I believe. We work relationships. So when you're working an area, you're not working that area as much as working how that area corresponds right. to the whole picture. Whereas a lot of myofascial re release that I've studied and talked with people, it's very much, oh, you, you have pain here? Okay, right. let's just work this area. And and not putting that 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 layering. And it's one of the real beauties. Uh, I had done yoga and body work for years before doing rolfing. I'd studied with Tom Myers. Uh, and I, you know, I thought I knew a lot of stuff. And when I learned the way that Ida sort of taught how to look at the layers of the body and the connections, it changed everything. Um, but Tom Myers is about relationships. I mean, yeah, um, I would say he is, he has a different view. I would say then, I mean, he studied, he's, he was a teacher at the Rolf Institute. Right. I think he had my take and, and Nikki, you can correct me if you see differently. I think he, he has all of that and he is doing his thing now. And I don't think it's not about relationships, but I don't see it. I don't see or feel it in the same way that the Rolf Institute teaches it. I mean, there are, not that it's right or wrong, they're, they're, they're different, but I don't see the same set of relationships within that. Mm. Um, I don't well, I would say that Tom Meyer's work, the anatomy change, it's, I mean, it's most definitely about relationships. It's just the Rolf Institute, they're both, they're just pictured very differently. The Rolf Institute has a 10 series and is more based off of principles. Tom Meyer's work with Anatomy Trains also is about relationships, has a series. I don't, I've never done his series, but I've definitely paid attention to Anatomy Trains. And, and I think with, with his work, I mean, he, in terms of marketing, he's really nailed it because he's given people a great visual image of the way the fascia is interconnected into the body. Can be interconnected. Can be, you know, there's the people who say, give them a, give a um, cadaver technician a scalpel that they're really skilled with. They can create any kind of anatomy. Treatment. Totally. So, and I feel like I've heard him, maybe him or definitely other people saying like, these are not set in stone. These, you know, no. the deep front line and there's no, but I think what it's, what he was really great at and just for someone who's been in all different types of fitness modalities is he was able to give fascia a tangible language for yes. other modalities to, to talk about. So, yeah, I think 
you know, again, also just kind of being, being a fascia modality focused person kind of needs to, because it's kind of been said a little bit in this podcast that fascia being one of our main uh, mediums that we work with need to just readdress that myofascial doesn't really get released in that it's more about talking about relationships and we're talking about the nervous system that offers a new way for the, the myofascia to find a new way of tone that can make appropriate adjustments to, to the desires that are needed. So we're not really releasing fascia. I mean, that used to be a thought right, that, right. that we do, but it's not, I think what kind of the common thing that we're talking about in this between you doing recore Restore your core, correct? Is that the right? Yeah, restore your core. And us as structural integrators is finding relationships that better serve people so they can have optimal function, not form necessarily, not how they're stacked and organized that really that we're looking for. Yeah, they can be a little wonky. I certainly am. I was born with scoliosis. I, you know, if I do a bend over roll, I mean, it's always funny when I lay down to get body work or anything, they're like, Oh, do you like, they're going to point something out that I don't already know about my body. <laughs> You're like, filter it out, filter it out. I don't hear you. Yes, yes. <laughs> my spine does take a curve, but, but I, that's the thing. We have to normalize that. Like asymmetry is beautiful, right? Yeah. People are so obsessed with symmetry. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's not about symmetry. Like it's so annoying. Cause I feel like it's, it becomes so much about, Again, how things are looking from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like I cut you off, and I'd love for you to finish that thought you were having no, about. It's, no, it's just talking about that. I, 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 it's fun to talk to other people who are also looking to optimize function and not necessarily about making people symmetric because mm -hmm. that's not realistic and that's boring. And I, I really just wanted to say it's nice to, to meet somebody that also is normalizing. And I definitely like your style of communication of <laughs> keeping it, keeping it relaxed. And um, yeah. You know, you can make a lot more sales by scaring people, right? So you can, like from a marketing perspective, it's a lot more smart to be like, Oh, you've been wearing heels your whole life. You better expect a prolapse. Oh, your calves are short. You better expect to be, you know, peeing your pants later. Oh, your pelvis doesn't move. Yep. Your core is not going to work. You can make a lot more money by using negative, you know, marketing skills for sure. But there's no truth to any of that either. Right. And so, um, I see a lot of people who work in the movement world and even in the functional movement world who basically are trying to convince the people who are listening to them that if they just do this, that, and the other thing, right. A, they'll no longer be in pain, which pain has nothing to do with what you look like. Like pain has much more to do with what's happening up in the noggin, right? You'll no longer be in pain and you'll, you know, be so much more functional. And I just think that, um, we don't know any of that, right? It's just, it's a really easy sale. Like it's, a, it's just an easy sell. Like if you fix that, you'll then have all these amazing benefits as opposed to like, why not just 
move in an intelligent way. So I'm not saying like go do, I don't know, I don't want to diss CrossFit because there's value there too. But I'm not saying like you can go do CrossFit and you'll be fine. I'm not saying that either. But I think that like it's really important to be honest with people. Like people come to me. I had a man actually recently reach out to me and he's like, I want to buy your program. But before I invest, I just want to know like how long will it take for me to see results? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, really? How, like, how can you say that? And I was like, it depends on so many factors. I don't even know what your starting point is. How many times a week are you going to be doing it? What's your mindset while you do it? What's your belief system about yourself being able to feel better? What's contributing to your pain that is way beyond your body? Like, I don't know. And he was like, you realize that if you were able to give me like a time frame, I'd actually buy from you. But the more you keep telling me, you don't know, it makes me feel like I can't trust you. And I was like, the person who tells you they know is the person who's lying to you. Like, but that's fine. You're not like, that's the system that they more or less know. I mean, I, I struggle so much with marketing because for me, marketing is generally about manipulation. How do you manipulate people to, to right. see your way? And I have, when I work in parts of the world and I get, uh, I'll use Russians, for example. Russians always ask the same thing always. I have pain here. How many sessions? And I'd be like, right. let's do one and then go from there and figure stuff out. And it's just not in there. They're like so used to being said, okay, four, you get four of this right. and, and you're fixed. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because I don't get like everything you said. I don't know. I, I don't know your body. I can look at it, but I'm not going to necessarily know. I don't know your your psychological state. I don't know how much do you really want it, or do you just you know all the stuff you said. I have none of that. And for me to give a blanket statement, it's why I'm horrible at sales, but it's also why I'm good at what I do. I think though that right now authentic marketing people love, and mm -hmm. so that being said, we are huge. My my business is hugely successful. Like I said, we have thousands and thousands of members, but I've never, I've never tried to say like, I'll fix you. And I know the answer. It's like, I'm just going to educate you. Like, that's all I have. You know, I can educate you. I can tell you what I know. I can tell you what I think. I did a session. I do these clinical sessions where I allow my students. So I will take in a client and allow all my students to, to sit in. So I do it on zoom. And right before I had a session, a clinical session and the woman you know, started the session and she was in a lot of pain in her back. And like, there was a certain movement that she was doing that was producing the pain. And by the end of the session, we did a, you know, repeat after, and most of the session we were talking, I didn't, I did two exercises on her and those two exercises, she was like, that was amazing. But I started off and she was like, I feel a thousand times better. But I started off the session with, I don't like, I'm not here to fix you and to like, heal. I'm not your healer. I'm going to try to educate you about what I think is going on but who knows? And so, you know, it's interesting, like, again, people, people appreciate honesty now, right? Like they really do appreciate honesty and the work works, right? The work can work, but not always. Right. So yeah. when you have a great product, like, like I felt really great that like I was able to help this woman, but it could have easily been that after an hour, she was like, I feel worse. That happens all the time too. Well, you're making me think of this a podcast I listened fairly recently, and I unfortunately can't give the guy credit to his name because I can't remember his name. But he is out of Minnesota, and he has um, he's a rolfer and I think a psychotherapist. And he was talking about, and he's I think works with kind of more of the seniorish population. And he was talking about how people come into his practice and kind of the same thing. They're like they're 
kind of like, I want to entertain some alternative care before I go into my hip replacement surgery. And they, and the, but they want to know how many sessions. And he's like, well, how many sessions? Probably about a hundred sessions. And people are like kind of blown away. And then his type of work, it sounds like that he does. He's like, yeah. And it's a hundred sessions with me, not really touching you. Cause he's asking questions. He's picking on the story. He's trying to change the story okay. of why you have pain. And he's like, yeah. A lot of these people, they're like, nope, not going to invest in 100 sessions where I'm barely getting work. I'm just going to go and get that hip replacement surgery because I'm in pain now and health insurance is going to pay for it. So I'm going to do it this way. And he was really candid and honest that he does get when the people do choose the 100 sessions. I mean, he's like, you know, throw out a number, but it's a lot. It's not going to be, you know, wham, bam, Tim Pack. Thank you. You're pain-free now. It's an investment in your time and it's investment in your money and it's investment in your personal journey of how you're going to recognize how you got in pain, why are you still holding on to this pain and what what are you going to do to get yourself out of pain? I'm going to be here to help facilitate that but I'm not doing it for you. It's That's amazing and I think we also live in a society that sees pain as bad and so when we start normalizing pain and saying like well, everyone has pain and gets injured. Like you can treat your body like gold. Like you can do all the work. You can do restore your core and you can do, you know, all the right things. Doesn't like, what is wrong with having pain sometimes? That's also part of it. Like a big part of healing is also recognizing your humanness. And that if you do end up with an injury or a pain, that doesn't mean you failed as a human. It just means you are human. And I think that that's really important. And again, like when in the perspective of like, taking on clients, like it really eases up the need to fix someone because it's not about the fix because we're all human and we all have this human experience. And so if we can normalize, I'm not saying you should be in pain. I'm not saying it's okay to be in pain. I'm saying that when it happens and you're in pain, it's, it's not necessarily something that you have to, um, run away from. And what I have a lot of my clients do is it just reinforces their broken mentality, their victim mentality. And I'm like, but it doesn't have to, because if you recognize that you're not alone in your pain and that it's not just you and you didn't do something to cause it, it, you don't have to be a victim to it. You can just acknowledge it like, oh, hi, pain. Here you are. I don't have to play into that story. And I like what you're saying about this guy from Minnesota, because I think that pain is so much about our relationship to it and what we've been trained to believe we should feel with it. There are a lot of cultures that don't feel the pain we feel because it's just like a part of their life. Like it's not taboo. It's just like life is hard and comes with all these aches and pains. I mean, same thing with birth. Why do people in some countries not experience any pain with birth? Because they haven't been, they haven't watched Hollywood movies and been told that that's what will happen to you. This is interesting. Pain and pain and injury is a really interesting field to work in. Well, there's story creators. I mean, there's, are you familiar with um, explain pain? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's tough to say to somebody when they are actually, when they are perceived that they're physically mm-hmm. feeling it, but when you're like pains in your brain yeah. and you, that's not real, that's all. But that big, when you can master that dialogue and really mm-hmm. help them navigate that the pain is really kind of coming from their brain and that you need to change your story to change your way of sensing yourself. You, then you get it. Then you get to be relatively pain free. And then when yes, and when you are experiencing pain, it's not 
you know, this high alert system in your nervous system of like, oh my gosh, I'm in pain. I need all these fixes. It's just got to sit with it and be like, all right, how am I going to work my way through this? Yeah. And I know it's hard. Like I still, I mean, I can say I have SI pain. I do. I feel it in my SI. Yeah. <laughs> and it's there a lot of times. But when, but when I sit down and work with my, my structural patterns and create movement and work through it, it's not barking at me as loudly as it can totally. be. Totally. So. Yeah. And, and who knows what's influencing that? Is it because you did the workout? Like I have a, a client now who I have an, an SI joint pain sequence that most people say is magic and takes their pain right away. And so I have this new client, she's doing my program and she's like, you know, I feel amazing, but I can't help. But like, there's this one part of my butt that really hurts still. And I was like, oh, maybe you have SI joint stuff. I was like, I'm going to tell you where this video is, but you know, I know you have a lot on your plate with Restore Your Core, but here's this other magic video. She texted me in the morning. She's like, okay, I don't know what that was, but I have no more butt pain and I've had it for ages. But again, who knows? Was it the sequence? Was it the expectation? Was it, who knows what that was? So I'm not actually saying that movement can't help and, or rolfing, or I'm not saying none of it can work. I think it does. I just think that it's more complicated and complex than what we believe it to be. There's so many factors in it. Yeah. We're facilitators. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how, I mean, I like totally. what I do because I find it interesting and I, I like working with people and their tissue and having these dialogues and I like gyrotonic and gyrokinesis and, but I, I like that more than I like yoga, but I also like yoga. It's, yeah. But there it's, we, if we fall into this wellness um, career, a lot of it's driven of like, what, what, what are we fascinated by? What turns us on and like makes us motivated to help people find different ways of, of being. And some people, you know, a lot of it, I mean, we're kind of jumping down the rabbit hole of like the stories, but a lot of people who do structural work isn't about wanting a biomechanic change. So they want to like change how they, their mindset and how they're viewing life. It's like far from, a biomechanical efficiency paradigm. It's like, I want to see you move and operate differently in the world. But yeah. There's so many ways in, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, is that I really, I like the fact that I feel like you, you way the way you speak, you, you know, a lot, you want to share so much, um, but you're also okay to be questioned, which I feel like is strange almost nowadays in a educator facilitator role. I feel like you're very open to be like, okay, show me something. And if I agree with it, cool. And if not, like, let's, let's look, but you're not like, I just see a lot of other teachers. Uh, I mean, I'm on all these, these groups that I never used in Facebook that I'm using now because I have time and I'm just like listening to people say stuff and they're just not open to hearing anything else. It's like, this is my way and, and that's what it is. And I feel like with you, you're like, all right, like I know these things, but hey, what do you say? Oh, okay, that doesn't fully go along with my belief system. Let me sit with it a bit. Okay, or, in, or yeah, I see different, you see different, no worries. Yeah, it comes with getting older. <laughs> the older you get, the more you <laughs> give, give up on trying to be right all the time. I love learning though, you know, and I, I think that there's value in, um, well, there's just value in 
there's so many ways in. I just think there's so many ways in. And the worst and and the worst the worst thing to do is to get stuck and stagnant. Hmm. Right? Like there's no point. So um, but I also don't put myself out. Like I've stopped kind of, I'm in a lot of those groups too, but I I feel that people are not very receptive to um, you know, like stretching is bad for you. Stretching is good for you. This is bad for you. Passive stretching. I mean, it's like, oh, stop. I can't. Like, I just can't, you know? So I, I, yeah, I tend to, I tend to be, I used to be very opinionated and want to like tell it. Now I just have my own forums, you know? Where like, now you control the opinions. <laughs> I just, I can't, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I still like being opinionated, but it's really hard. It's like in our political environment. Are you really going to change someone's mind about? how they feel about all it. No, sometimes there's no, no, there's, you just agree to kind of disagree. Mm. So I try to stick to forums where I know I'll be agreeing with people mostly. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. like, I'm exploring Facebook really for the first, like, I've never really, I've always had, I've had a profile for years. I've never really used it and I've been in groups. And now that I have time, I've been sort of exploring and I just, so for me, as an educator facilitator, I see like I'm in a lot of yoga therapy groups and I see what people are saying and I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, this is like, you know, so this is, this has been corrected like 30 years ago. Why are you even like repeating this stuff? And then, and it just ends up upsetting me. And I really, I, I, I guess it's because I associate myself with the group if it's for something and I want to make whatever I am, I want to make the best possible. I want to, I want to, and it's just useless. Yeah. I mean, when people start talking about kegels as being like the solution for pelvic floor dysfunction, I'm just like, I can't, I can't even talk about that anymore. You know, if I'm in a group, I'm not, I used to, I used to be like, well, actually <laughs> most people with pelvic floor dysfunction have a too tight pelvic floor and they don't need kegels and it's not about the kegels and it's about the system. And now I'm just like, whatever, let them think what they want. Mm-hmm. I can't be bothered. Facebook. Yeah. I love Facebook, but I definitely, it can be an energy sucker. And you can yeah. put in so much effort in answering someone and then they are annoyed and delete the post and you're like, mm, great, bye. Yeah. Well, we all start somewhere and maybe it doesn't, you know, end with us. Our, totally. Our, our knowledge. <laughs> That's right. Is there anything more you would like, you feel you'd love to share? I feel like we shared a lot. I got a lot of my, like, my top points out. I like to, you know, um, no, I'm good. I feel really good about this conversation. Yeah, same. Share where people can find you on the social webs. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at the Lauren O'Hayan, and then restoreyourcore.com. And then I have this awesome Facebook group. If you just search Restore Your Core Community, the one with like more than 20,000 people in it is the one you want to go into. There are so many copycats right now. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we'll let Laying you actually go. Well, let you go cook your dinner for your kids and your husband and anyone else that's there. And thanks, thank you so much for your time. We'll we'll we'll, yeah. we'll chat other ways as well in the future. Absolutely, yeah. so nice to chat, and I'm yeah. happy to always bounce ideas off you guys. And um, it's great. And Nikki, next time you, I'm in Boulder, let's have a coffee. Please, definitely. I'd love right. that. Okay. Yeah. Have a nice okay. night, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Lauren at laurenohayan.com. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts or other podcast aggregators. 
and please share us with people you feel may be of interest. We're doing all of this for all of you out there, and we hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.